Welcome to everyone here in the auditorium and all those watching online at carneyefree.com. We know that many are watching online right now and uh, totally understandable. And uh, we will keep that online service feed going, uh, probably for good. Uh, but so grateful for our church family watching online at carneyfree.com and also for everyone here in attendance today. Uh, my name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and I'm excited for 2022. How about you? Yeah. Anyone else? Okay. Three of us. All right. <laughs> I think it's going to be a great year. I really, really do. I, I just, I feel like the Lord is unlocking a few things for me relative to joy and patience and a couple items that, that I've shared before in this room over the past several weeks. And I'm excited about our preaching plan for the entirety of the year. This next series that we're opening up today is called A Beautiful Mess. The church is The Beautiful Mess. It's A Beautiful Mess. But this is one sermon series of a number that we'll be going through in 2022. And I'm excited about all of those. And I really feel like this is going to be a great year for our church family. At this time each year, I spend time thinking about my goals spiritually for the year to come. I'm a goal setter, in case you didn't know that. And goals are really, really helpful for me for growth in all different areas, but especially in the spiritual life. And I wondered if you have taken some time yet to think about your goals for 2022 in the spiritual realm of life, and if you haven't yet done so, if perhaps you would consider doing so in this next couple weeks. As you think through that, I want to share with you a few habits that are absolutely critical, I believe, for spiritual growth in our contemporary scene. Um, Christians over the centuries have reinforced again and again the importance of being in the scriptures and being in prayer and having habits related to that. Who knows in this room that habits determine who you become? Yes. You know that? The things you habitually do determine what you become. I tell my boys all the time that it goes from thoughts to actions, actions to habits, habits to character. So if you want to change your character, it begins with your thoughts leading to actions and then building new habits. Here's a few areas of habit that you might consider for your spiritual life. Oh, this is a bonus, by the way. This is not the main message. But here's a few areas yeah, you might consider for habits to develop in your spiritual life here at the beginning of 2022. The first one is a prayer habit. What is your daily prayer habit? Uh, my daily prayer habit includes a list of prayers in the front of my Bible that I generally pray through each morning. Then my wife and I pray in the evening well with our boys, and then there's other prayers during the day. What is your prayer habit? Uh, many people have used the prayer habit of Acts prayers, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That would be a great habit to get into for prayer. Maybe there's a half a dozen or so people that you would like to consistently pray for, and you determine today that I'm going to pray for each of those people one person per day each week. You choose to pray for someone each day, and you do that across six or seven people over a week, and then you do that across this year. That could be a great prayer habit. Maybe this. What if you got up in the morning and you commit to prayer before phone? Anybody? Would that be a good habit? I see some people nodding their heads. I'll nod with you. That's a good habit. Okay, so develop a prayer habit of some kind, and that grows your relationship with Christ. Second, a scripture habit. What is your habit for getting into the Word of God, getting the Word of God into you? It's different things for all of us, 
but one might be, I'm going to read through the book of Proverbs, 30 chapters every month this year. One chapter per day across the month. I'm going to do that repeatedly across this entire year. You know, Billy Graham did that most months of his entire life. Read through the book of Proverbs each and every month because Proverbs is like a father figure who just drops wisdom. Okay, maybe you'd have the discipline of, I'm going to study the Psalms this year, 150 chapters in the Psalms. I'm not just going to read them, I'm actually going to study them. Or the parables of Jesus, I'm going to study all of those this year. Or you could decide this year that you're going to read through the New Testament. There's only 260 chapters in the New Testament. Each of them are about a page or two. You could read through that page or two five days a week and read through the entire New Testament this year. Or how about this habit? Instead of listening to the radio in the car, I'm just going to listen to the Bible in the car. That'd be a great habit. You could get through the entire Bible, though, this year that way. Or maybe you would like to memorize Scripture. Any number of different habits, though, that you would develop to get the Scriptures into you, those are two critical ones for Christians across the centuries. I want to suggest a third one real quickly, and it's developing a habit for reflection. Would you agree that life feels like it's happening at lightning speed? Like, it just, the number of bits of information that we are constantly taking in, it's impossible to assimilate them all, and it can be overwhelming. Perhaps a new habit would be intentionally slowing life down by choosing to reflect on things that you're learning from God in Sunday morning worship services, with the life group discussion questions, Perhaps it's a study with a friend of yours. Maybe you commit to having a conversation with a friend about one area of spiritual growth, and you choose to connect with that person one time a month over the course of this year. One of my reflection habits right now is to get up each morning and write down five things that I'm thankful for, because I've been struggling with joy a little bit the past several months, and so I've been doing this over the past month, and it's making a difference in my life already. Just in the past 30 days, getting up and spending 10 minutes reflecting on areas that I have to be thankful for has changed my disposition toward what's going on around me. But the point is this, we have to choose to slow things down because they come at lightning speed. And reflection is the bridge between hearing the Word of God and doing the Word of God. So if you want to do what you learn... Reflection is a critical habit here for 2022. Let me pray for you as you're thinking about your spiritual goals and as we jump into this morning's message. Father in heaven, thank you for every person here. Thank you for every family in attendance, for all of these friends. We are in that frame of mind right now as we think about things being new in this new year, and we're asking, God, that you would show us what needs to change in our lives in order to grow closer to you. Perhaps there's some personal, solitary habit that we need to develop. Or perhaps there's some decision that we need to enter into with the church as we talk about this beautiful mess called the church. Maybe there would be something today that we would commit to We say, I need to be a part of a community like that, or I need to join the mission in some way. Lord, we simply say to you at the beginning of this message series, we are yours. You have given us this day, you have given us this year, and we give it back to you. 
Would you have your way in us over this next hour? Would you please teach us this morning? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We live in an era of what you might call anti-institutionalism. Would you agree? The institutions that we used to trust in, for many different reasons, people no longer trust. People used to trust law enforcement. Sadly today, fewer do. People used to trust academics and government at all different levels, and media, and corporations. Even a growing distrust is being evidenced toward local civic clubs. It used to be that local civic clubs like the Elks Club or Kiwanis or Rotary Club had a role in small cities like ours, and they were trusted. Today, people are largely indifferent to those. And the church is caught up in this wave of anti-institutionalism as well. It wasn't long ago that you would meet people and simply assume that they were church members somewhere, right? It wasn't long ago that people would introduce themselves to me and they would ask me what I do for a living and I would happily tell them that I am a pastor leading a wonderful church. Now when people ask me what I do for a living, I get nervous. And sometimes I answer, I'm in investments. (laughs) Investing in people, that's right, brother. Investments of a different kind, and we'll see where the conversation goes. Why? Because I know that people are distrustful of the church today. And many people are distrustful of pastors today, and oftentimes with good reason. And sadly, the church has, at times, in our nation, become a stumbling block to people seeing Jesus himself. Now this, unfortunately, is a real thing in America right now. And it's a very new phenomenon in our nation's history. Some of you are old enough to remember that in 1976, the first self-described evangelical, was elected to the White House named Jimmy Carter, and Time Magazine, a few months later, labeled 1976 the year of the evangelical. You fast forward in the 1980s and the 1990s, and that was the birth of the megachurch movement in America. Churches seemed to be on the ascent. The religious right was growing in power, Christians seem to be growing in influence across our country, while the liberation movements of the 1960s and 1970s began to wane in influence. During the 80s and the 90s, the church ascended into greater influence, and it seemed like America was increasingly becoming a Christian nation, and it would stay that way. But the place of the church in our nation has drastically changed, I would say particularly in these past 10 years. 
The millennial generation, for example, was born roughly between 1983 and 2000, which makes them now the 20 to 40-year-olds who are starting to shape our nation. And the data is starting to come out about the state of their spiritual lives. 36% of millennials in a recent Pew Forum study indicated that their religion is nothing at all. 36%. They're either ambivalent, atheistic, or agnostic. That's the same percentage of millennials who describe themselves as Protestant. That's much higher than the percentage of millennials who describe themselves as Catholic. Now, even amongst those millennials who were raised in the church, a recent 2021 study indicates from the Barna Group that amongst millennials raised in the church, only 10% of them remain Committed, resilient disciples. Think of that. 10% of millennials raised in the church continue to be, as Barna Group calls it, resilient disciples. These aren't like the C.S. Lewis's or the Mother Teresa's of the world. These are ordinary Christians like you and me who are serious about their faith. They do the kind of things that I was just talking about. They go to church, they read their Bible, they seek to grow in their relationship with God. 10% of those raised in the church are resilient disciples. I talk to parents and grandparents in this room and you oftentimes attest to me this shift here in central Nebraska such that the cultural and generational tension related to all things church can be very thick between generations here and now. The result is that Christians have oftentimes exited from the places of power in our nation. There used to be lots of Christians in academia and in the arts and in government and in politics, but increasingly they're either exiting from those or just not feeling welcome. And the result is Christianity used to be at the place of power in our nation, but now it's on the fringe. Even so, right in the middle of this cultural shift, I really believe that the true church is able to shine more brightly. Historically, the church has shined brightest when it has not been in the majority, when it has not had all the power. It's been when it's been a minority that it's been able to shine the brightest. I'll give you an example. Well, when I was in high school 26, 27 years ago, wasn't raised here. I was raised, as some of you know, in the Denver area, but I went to high school in Boulder County. Perhaps you know that Boulder County went through this shift that I just described just a few years before Buffalo County did. If you've been there, you need no explanation of that. Okay, Boulder County went through that shift quite a long time ago. But even so, 25, 26 years ago, as a high school student, I had a number of friends who were committed Christians. I was not, I wasn't raised to be, but I would observe these handful of friends who were genuine, committed, resilient Christians and who stood out from the crowd. And what I noticed about them was this, they were consistently kind. And they would oftentimes serve of their time. And they were involved with sports just like I was, but when their sports games landed on Sunday morning, they chose church instead of their sports games. I won't go there right now, but maybe someday I will. Maybe not. 
<laughs> they chose church instead of their sports games. They had different sexual boundaries than the rest of the students. They didn't get drunk. They didn't smoke weed. I noticed their fathers were so engaged in their lives. And I even noticed among some of these kids that they would take a week away where they would go serve in Mexico, build houses in Tijuana. Or sometimes they'd go into inner city Denver and they would serve at the rescue mission. These kids were different. They were even kind of weird to me, but they were attractive to me. They were in the world, but not of the world. And when I witnessed the way they were living, there was something beautiful and attractive to their quality that I wanted, but I couldn't have for myself. I didn't know how to get it. That was the church. And friends, this is where we're going in the series, is to simply acknowledge the church is intended to be this beautiful, shining light that, others, that other people see, and they say, that is attractive. On the front end, well, let's ask a couple questions. Have you had an experience over a short or long period of time that the church has been beautiful to you? Would you raise your hand? Has the church been beautiful in your life at any time? Good, I, I hope we all can raise our hand. If not, I'm sorry. We hope this will be a beautiful place for you. How about this? Have you had an experience where the church has been messy or hurtful for you? Yeah, plenty of us there too. Okay, I, I've had both of those experiences well with the church as well. And I think actually we should expect that because the church, of course, is made up of people who are beautiful and messy. Like, as I look in the mirror each morning, I see this beautiful face. <laughs> okay, maybe not so beautiful. I see this face, and I see a messy kind of guy. And that's who we are. We're a beautiful and messy group of people, but together we are God's plan A for the world. That's what God intends for, for the church, that we'd be God's plan A for the world. Now, I recognize that there might be some in the room here today who dislike the church and have had bad experience with the church, and you feel like you came to church today kicking and screaming. And we are so glad that you're here even kicking and screaming, but because this is a wonderful church, it's not a perfect church, but we are a church on mission. And I want to describe over the course of the next eight weeks the kind of church that we want to be, which is so critical for us in this culture of 2022. So over these next eight weeks, here's where we're going to go. We're going to talk about how we are on mission together. That's next week how we're on mission together. We're going to talk about how we are committed together. In an era of uncommitment, we are committed together. We celebrate and we cry together. We're generous together. We're different together. We're different together, and that's good. We're optimistic together. We are humble together, and we are called out together. That's where I want to focus our time here today. We are called out together. So let's begin here as we enter into this new series, A Beautiful Mess, with a definition of what the church is. You'll see that up on the screen here, and you can help me here this morning. Let's read this definition of the church together. Please join me. The church is the called out assembly of Christ's followers locally and universally on mission to reflect and proclaim Christ. Okay. That may not be a perfect definition of the church, but that's the definition that I'll be working from, and I think it's a pretty good biblical definition of what God intends for his church. 
Let's unpack a few of these words. The first thing is we are called out. In fact, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. And the word ekklesia in the original language is actually two different words. Ek means out. Kaleo means called. The plural of kaleo is klesia. So it's called out ones, called out people. That's all ecclesia means, is a group of people that are called out. In fact, in the first century world, the same word was referred to for an army that was called out by the empire that as a group, they were to be in service to the king for the battle that they were facing. It was a called out army. It's called the church, the ecclesia. There's a lot of illustrative power in that. We're intended to be an army fought for Christ, called out, but not for ourselves, instead called out to be on mission for Christ. Uh, just think with me here. What I noticed in those people that I just reflected upon fought from high school is they were the demonstration of Christ to me. As called out ones, they were in the world, but not of the world. They weren't scared of me. They didn't judge me. And as a result of that, I noticed how beautiful they were because they were called out in a different kind of way. That kind of assembly is what God is after. Now, we're, again, not called out for ourselves, not called out for a holy huddle. We are called out to be on mission, both universally and locally, the church is a universal phenomenon of people who have faith in Christ, of every, race, of every race, every nation, and every tongue, and also it's local individual assemblies like ours that meet together, and our purpose, no matter what, is that we would reflect and proclaim Christ to a very dark world. This is our job. The church is not the center. The church is not the sun. Jesus Christ is the sun, and the church is the moon. The church, in God's plan, is to reflect the light of the sun to a watching world. That as we spend more time with Christ, as we dwell on his word, as we learn from him, hopefully we are increasingly, like the moon, reflecting the beauty of the sun, proclaiming it, and showing his beauty to those who are all around us. That's the mission of the church, to receive what God has given us, and then to be on mission as a collective assembly doing the, the will of Jesus, increasingly representing him to, to our world. Put another way on your outline, the church is called out of the world's darkness in order to bring light into the darkness. We're called out not to go into a holy huddle, two, four, shut the door. We're called out to bring light. Amen? Amen. This is what we are called to, is to be difference makers in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families, not to feel good about the fact that Jesus saved us, but to move from that beautiful fact into the world where God has placed us. And the way he's going to do that, the way he's really going to use us is that we would become fully devoted followers of Christ who look like Christ more and more, who reflect Christ more and more. And so what does that look like? To reflect Christ looks like this. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what Christ wants for his church. That's what Christ wants for me. That is what Christ wants for you. 
Or put even more simply than that, the Apostle Paul put it this way, the greatest of these is love. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Like, the people outside the church would see the church and they would say, man, I don't really understand those guys. They're a little bit weird. They're a little bit different. But the church is like the most loving people in Kearney. Is that what they say? I, I, I pray that increasingly that's what they would say, that people would see us collectively as the body of Christ and they would say the first and the foundational thing that I think about when I think about the church in this community is their faith, hope, and love. And above all of them, it's their love. The Apostle Paul in each of these statements, is he's, he's giving goals, he's giving objectives for, for what the church would look like in our world. And here's one more and then we'll move on. Uh, Colossians 1, 27 and 28, Paul puts it this way. Paul says, we proclaim him, we proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And so another way to put this, the fruit of the Spirit, or faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love, is that Jesus wants us to increasingly become more and more mature in Christ. Little bit by little bit, year by year, we are all growing more and more into the likeness of Christ. Please note that as the Apostle Paul is writing each of these goal statements, he's not writing to the super-Christians. Like, if you know anything about Corinth, they were not super-Christians. He's not writing to the super churches. He's writing to Carney Free. He's writing to me. He's writing to you. He's writing to ordinary folks and says, this is my goal that we would look like this. Fully mature in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit being love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the rest. Because when people see that, they stand in awe. You know, it's interesting. You see someone who has the fruit of the Spirit, it's kind of easy to dismiss that individual. You can say that person's a super Christian. That person's really, really unique. But when you see hundreds of people in a given church reflecting that to the world around us, you stand in awe. You say that is different. They must have something going on there. I'd like to know a little bit more of what they are cooking. So this is what God calls us God calls us to, he calls us out that we would increasingly reflect the beauty of the Son as we become people who are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit and characterized by love. Now, for the remainder of this time here, though, this morning, I just want to talk about how we do that at Carney E. Free. Every different church has to determine how they pursue discipleship, and I want to share with you how we corporately at this church pursue discipleship together, how we corporately at this church pursue this idea of fully mature in Christ. If you walk outside this garage door today, just to the left as you walk outside, it used to be your right, as you walk outside, you'll see this logo that comprises these four words which comprise our discipleship pathway that we hope all of us as individuals and all of us as a church would enter into with zeal and as a result of entering into this, we will grow more and more into maturity in Christ, individually and collectively. It's these four phrases. We seek the truth. We embrace the gospel. We choose community. And we join the mission. Let me unpack these for you. The first thing that we do here on Sunday mornings 
is we gather together and hopefully we hear a good message that fills us with a level of head knowledge which eventually goes down into our hearts and as we gather together on Sunday morning, we seek the truth and we embrace the gospel. Hopefully every message that you have here has truth from the scriptures that leads to a deeper embrace of the reality of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to die for us, to bring us to God, and as we put our trust in him, we have greater courage and greater strength through all of life. And we would be so saturated in the gospel of Christ, we'd be so filled with the truth of Christ, be so filled with the truth of the scriptures, that we would be eager to proclaim it to others. That we would never be ashamed of the gospel. Rather, Romans 1, we would be the kind of people that say, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of every person who believes. It's the power of God for the salvation of each and every one of us in this room and everyone while watching online this morning. It's the power of God for the salvation of transforming our lives out of darkness into life, of giving us victory over our areas of sin, whatever it may be, of giving us strength when we are weak, of giving us courage under fire. The gospel is the power of God for you and me today. And friends, we have to live it. We hear it, but we got to live it seven days a week. We got to be so immersed in it that it just naturally flows through us in all that we do. That we're not ashamed of our roots. We live in a day again that people are ashamed of their roots. We're not ashamed of our roots. We're grateful for our roots, and we root ourselves most securely in the gospel of Jesus. We come back to that every week. We live in it, we gain that head knowledge, it goes down to heart knowledge, then as we live in it, we realize all of life is oriented around the gospel. It's not oriented around my job. It's not even oriented around my family. It's oriented around the cross and the empty tomb. We live in that day in and day out. Now again, part of the reason I'm, I'm passionate about this because it's changed my life. And I'm passionate about this because we're losing it. Pastor Aaron did a great job last Sunday talking about how to reach Generation Z, the next generation below the millennials, okay? And it was a great message. And well, one of the things that he noted is most people in Generation Z, and this is true for a lot of millennials as well, they have no biblical knowledge at all. Like you almost have to assume that now. And most have no basic theology. Another thing that I've noticed is a lot of older adults are losing their biblical theology. And you know how they're losing it? They're watching too much news. If you watch too much news, guess what? That replaces your previous worldview. Your worldview will come from what you watch as opposed to from the scriptures. Like, as we tell our kids all the time, right, we are what we eat. And that happens with older folks, too. And so if if you're in either of those places right now, I'm not trying to push you. I'm just trying to encourage you, seek the truth and embrace the gospel. A couple ways you could do that. We've referenced these books before, but More Than a Carpenter is a really simple and wonderful book that gives us conviction for why we believe Christianity is actually true. 
historically, archaeologically, good reasons to, to believe the events that we talk about here on a Sunday-to-Sunday -Sunday basis actually happened, okay? This is a great book that you might pick up out of the resource table. Or if you don't really know what the gospel is that much, you haven't ever really done a study on what the gospel is and how you would apply it to your life, we had 300 people in our church go through this book in the past 15 months, Growing in Christ. And if you'd like a mentor to help you go through this little book such that you would learn more of the gospel and how to apply it to your life on a week-in and week-out basis, we'd be happy to partner you with a mentor. Just let us know that, either the information table or one of the communication cards. You can pick this up out at the information table as well. Two simple, simple tools that you can use. And if it's not that, like it's as simple as this. Come to church every week and take notes. That's how you learn. And then go reflect upon them. And have one or two takeaways. Not ten takeaways, one or two takeaways. And say from church service, I will do this as a result of what I just learned. Again, this is the bridge between hearing the word and doing the word. This is how we build a proper biblical theology and worldview. This is the first thing that we do each and every Sunday morning while we come together and we seek out the truth of the gospel. Now, the second thing that we do is, well, we join a community. We choose community. Together, we each choose a community. And I am so delighted to tell you that over the past two very difficult years, our life group attendance at this church, listen to this, has gone up by 30%. In two years, in the midst of COVID, it's gone up by 30%. Why is that? It's because people realize that we need to be known. Now more than ever, we need to be known. We need to have a small cadre of people that operate as a spiritual family that we are doing life with. Over 800 adults have chosen to join one life group community with other men, with other women, with other couples. And the result of that is this. They now have eight or 10 other people to laugh with, to smile at, to bring blessing to, to receive from, to encourage, to build up, to pray for, to learn together, to pick apart a sermon together. You, you get that in a life group community in a way that we know we cannot get it in this room. The Bible commands this, in fact. Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up the habit of meeting together as some are doing, as some are giving up the habit of meeting together, we don't give up the habit of meeting together, but we continue to spur each other on toward love and good deeds, and all the more so as we see the day of Christ approaching. Because it's just almost impossible to live life as a Lone Ranger Christian, isn't it? It's just too difficult, so we need a few others, and there's no shame in admitting that we need a few others. God has made us that way for relationships. And you know, the beautiful thing about a life group is you get, get together and you learn different people's experiences, learn different angles, looking at the same passages. You really like certain people, and then you learn to like other people. You grow in community together, and you become a spiritual family together, and this is what God intends for us. I promise you this, well, when it comes to growing in spiritual community, when it comes to growing in spiritual maturity, engagement eats attendance for breakfast. Let me say it again. If you would like to grow in spiritual maturity, engagement eats attendance 
for breakfast every day. You, you just won't grow that much by coming and listening to a good sermon. Hopefully they're good. You might grow a little bit through them. The way God made us is to grow through reflection. That's the way he made us. So we grow by engaging as a church. The best ways for you to engage are these two. It's to choose community and then it's to join a mission. And I'll wrap up well with this. The, the third area that we encourage everyone in our church to enter into as we all seek to grow fully mature in Christ is to join a mission. And there's hundreds of ways though that we can do this, both in our church and through our church, but God would intend that we would grow in hand knowledge. It's head, hearts, and hands all together, all working in concert. We grow as we do. And when you join a mission in any number of different areas, leading a life group, serving downstairs with kindergartners, being a greeter here on Sunday morning, working through the church with Storehouse or over at Emerson Elementary School, any number of different areas. Maybe your mission is to your neighborhood. As you enter into that mission, well, whatever it is, that consistent action for the glory of God has a way of growing you into spiritual maturity as you do it. One of the most powerful chapters in the entire Bible to me is 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to just read two verses to you from it. This is the Apostle Peter, and he says this, 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And because you have received mercy, now it's time to operate as the priesthood of believers. This is truly an amazing, remarkable idea that's kind of lost on us because we don't talk about priests too much anymore. Unless you come from an Anglican or a Catholic or an Episcopalian background, you might hear priesthood of believers and you say, what, what even is that? Okay, priest in the Old Testament was the minister that went from God to the people. He was responsible for the primary ministry to the people. And so also it was in the Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church. But then the Protestant Reformation came along and Martin Luther said, no, the church has gotten it wrong. In fact, it's not this great split between the priests and the people. No, it's a priesthood of all believers. We are a royal priesthood that are at this together. Put in modern nomenclature, you could put it this way. You're a royal pastorhood. It's the pastorhood of all believers. Yeah. You're a pastor. Do you see yourself that way? Yes. You're a pastor to your neighborhood, to your family, to your area of mission, to your flock, whatever it might be, to your workplace. God has intended for you to be a minister there just as much as he's intended for me to be a minister in my role. All I am is a chief servant to you pastors. Okay, that's all I am. This is what God intends, not like, we can do it, you can help a little bit, right? That's what the church has said for far too long. That's what church leaders have said for far too long. We can do it, you just come and consume. 
You can help a little bit. No, it's, it's the Home Depot motto. You can do it. Yep. You can do it. We can help. That's all we do. Hopefully help a little bit. The pastorhood of believers. Dwell on that for a little bit this week. Let me wrap up with this. Let's look at the logo here one more time. We seek the truth. We embrace the gospel. We choose community. We join the mission. And last thing I'm going to say is this. We do all of that through prayer. All of that has to be bathed in prayer. Friends, if you do that by yourself, you'll become stronger in yourself, which is okay, but not nearly as good as what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be full of the Spirit. He, he wants us to have the fruit of the Spirit. And so we bathe all of those things in prayer. We come to church on Sunday morning, and when we come to church on Sunday morning, we say, thank you, God, for the opportunity to hear the truth. Would you help it come into my minds? Okay? Would you help me to dwell on the truth, to seek the truth today? Would you help me as I come to church today to embrace the gospel and be prepared to live it out more and more? Would you help the word of God to be proclaimed in such a way that people want to embrace the gospel for themselves? Would you pray with me that way on Sunday mornings? And Father, as we go to our life group, I thank you, Father, for my life group. I thank you for each of the 10 people in our life group, and I pray for each of them. Thank you for creating each of them. I look for an opportunity to encourage them today. I pray for them by name, and I thank you for them. I go into my mission, and I say, thank you, Lord, Father, for the opportunity I have to serve in this mission, to go be a pastor to kindergartners, though, this morning, to be a pastor to people who enter into these doors who are hurting from a very difficult week, would you grant me the ability to look them in the eyes and show value to each and every one of them as made in the image of God? As I walk through my neighborhood, would you remind me that I am on mission to my neighbors, and so I begin to pray for each of my neighbors as I walk around the neighborhood? As I serve a child down at Emerson Elementary School, I pray for that child each and every day. I take it seriously. I bathe my life in prayer because what I do not want is the fruit of Adrian. I don't want that. I want the fruit of the Spirit. You want the fruit of the Spirit. People see the fruit of the Spirit and they stand in awe. We go after these things this year. You individually, you will grow more mature in Christ. We go after them as a church this year. We will shine more, reflecting the sun more beautifully than we ever have. We may be a mess, but we're a beautiful mess. And together, God is not done with us. He intends great things in this community, in this county, in central Nebraska in 2022. And he wants to use you. Let's pray for that. Oh, Father, thank you that you never quit on us. Thank you that in spite of all of our ups and downs, you, you don't quit. Thank you, Father, that you love us and you give us Jesus, our Savior. Thank you that he is resurrected far from the grave and he is extending new life to anyone who wants him today. Maybe you've never received the love of Christ and maybe today would be the day that you simply say, Lord Jesus, I look up at the cross and I recognize that I cannot do it on my own. I repent and I turn to you and I ask you to be Lord over my life. 
Or maybe you've just kind of been doing church on Sunday and today would be the day that you say, no, I'm ready to do church on Monday. I'm ready to be a pastor to my neighborhood on Monday. I'm ready to be a pastor to my classmates on Monday. I'm ready to be a pastor to my workplace on Monday. And we ask God that you would do it. You'd help us to join the mission. You'd help us to go after Christ with everything we got. Or maybe others in this room are just running as Lone Ranger Christians and today would be the day you say, I'm going to choose community, I need it, I need it. Oh Father, would you grant courage to those who are wrestling with these questions even now. We love you Lord, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Thank you the church shines most brilliantly when it's a minority, when it's not the majority, when it's not in power, but it demonstrates Christ to this world. May we do so in 2022. We'll be careful to give you all the credit. In Christ's name.